The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the sea. And he's talking about by the Sea of Galilee. He's in Capernaum. He chose Capernaum as his earthly headquarters, if you will, to do the ministry that he did. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him so that he went into his ship and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up because they had no, uh, they sprang up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them, but others fell in good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when the disciples came unto him, when the disciples came and said, let me get that right, and the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken, even that he hath. Therefore spake I to them in parables, because they seen see not, hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Esaias, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For this people heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their hearts, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things that ye hear and have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was stoned in his heart. That is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that receives seed into the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy received it. Yet he hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while. When tribulation or persecution ariseth, the cause of the word by and by he is offended. He also that received uh, seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world and he becometh unfruitful. But, boy, I like that word. But he that receiveth seed in the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it and bear fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, 
some 30. Father, we're thankful today for the privilege, the privilege, God, that it is to be in your house, to be part of the church that you purchased with your blood and powered by your spirit and entrusted with your word. We're thankful that we can gather in a place like this and rejoice, Lord, in our worshiping you as you have allowed us to do this morning. And God, we ought to do it more than we do. Thank you for the songs that were sung, the testimonies that given, the hearts were stirred, God, and the blessings that were experienced by all of us that are in this place. And I pray, God, now that you would help us understand the word that is before us. You want us to hear, help us to hear. You made it, God, for those who know you, love you, and are seeking to bear fruit for you to hear. Now, Father, that may not be everyone. Let's be honest. According to this parable, but God, help us to get to that place if we aren't. Help us, Lord, to allow the seed of the Word of God to take root and to bring forth fruit for your glory and for our good. Save the lost that's among us. God, just bless your people, stir our hearts, and help us, God, as we hear the Word of God, to do what the the prophets said long ago, to break up our fallow ground. We'll praise you for the outcome, because we ask it in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, and all God's people said, Amen. I want to uh, draw our attention to you, if I may, back to verse Back to verses 10 and 11, just for this day's message. And the disciples came in and said, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said, Because it's given in you to know the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not. I'm going to talk to you today for a little while about the purpose of parables. The purpose of a parable. But before I do that, I need, I need to explain, friend, this this purpose of the Gospel of Matthew. Now, if you were here Wednesday night, you're going to hear me repeat some things and no apologies for that. But there is, there's always a reason for things that are in the Word of God. Jesus never did anything by moat, never did anything by accident, never did anything just accidentally. He had a purpose for everything He did, a time and a place. And friend, He knew exactly when to do it. And He fulfilled the purpose that even God had sent for them to do. When we leave the Old Testament, we understand that Malachi closes with a curse. But he looked forward to something. He looked forward to a day when all the Old Testament prophecy from Malachi back would be fulfilled. And the things that I want to emphasize here today is that God promised to a man by the name of David that he would have a son who would rule on his, from his throne, David's throne that is, over a kingdom that would be uh, throughout the world. It was a part of the Davidic covenant. You'll find it in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7. But not only that, God promised to Abraham a land that his people, that he promised that he would have out of his own bowels, would have a land, would have a home, would have a country. Not only that, when you get to the foot of Mount Sinai with a newly redeemed and released people out of the bondage of Egypt, God gave them and entered into uh, uh, with them into the Palestinian covenant. Now look, let me tell you all something. Those things have not yet been fulfilled but they will be. They will be fulfilled. 
So as we step out of the Old Testament into the New, after 400 years of silence, God in His wisdom, listen now, said, Matthew, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, as a Jew, sit down and write uh, to your people, the Jew, and I want you to tell them about two things, about the king of the Jews and the kingdom over which he's going to rule and reign. Now when we come out of the Old Testament in the New, we talked about this a couple of Wednesday nights ago. I did some more research. We tried to rem- I tried to remember what the first gospel was that was written. I was remembering Mark. Mark Fisher thought it was Luke. John Soyce told me that Schofield said uh, that it was Matthew. So I thought I'd do my own studying and I was refreshed. I believe Luke wrote first because if you look at Matthew and Luke's gospel, you'll find to them referring to Mark. Now, y'all can decide, but where I'm at, that's me. Now, here's the thing about it. What I want to emphasize. God did not for a reason. Remember, I just told you, God's got a purpose for everything. This book isn't accidentally laid out. God didn't say, hey, put them all together, just throw them up, and whichever way they fall down, that's going to be the order. God God is a God of order. And people are, I don't often use this word except for real big emphasis. I'm going to use it for today. People are so stupid, they think this place, this world, and all that's in it just happened by accident. There is a divine hand behind all this order. And it all has a purpose. And let me tell you, if you've not figured out what the purpose is, it is to glorify the one true God. Amen. It is to reveal Him, but to reveal Him to us so that we as His creatures might glorify. That's what it's all about. So when we come to the New Testament, The Old Testament closed with with God's people, with those promised people that there would be a king and a kingdom. God said, now look, look, Mark, you go ahead and write this. You, you, You write this. You get Peter's account. You listen to him, John Mark, and you write what Peter told you. But look, Matthew, you're going to lead the parade. You're going to lead the order. You say, why? Because, listen, the Old Testament closes with the promise of a king and a kingdom. And the New Testament begins with the announcement but by an angel by the name of Gabriel to a man that was a spouse to Joseph. Hey buddy, your wife that's with child is going to have a baby and it's going to be a king. Amen. The book of Matthew is to, to the Jews written by a Jew and it's written about the king of the Jews especially in the first 12, 13 chapters. And look at the order of it. Chapter 1. I just told you that the Bible says Gabriel visited a man by the name of Joseph while he was asleep. He said, Fear not, take them to marry thy wife, that was conceived as her of the Holy Ghost, prophecy of Isaiah. And you're going to, she's going to bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's going to be known as Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. And look, you already know with the genealogy, that is the greater son of David. For verse 1 says, in the beginning, or the, the, the beginning of the, of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Put him in the right, listen, put him in, a, in, in the royal family and put him in, in the right family, if you will. Let me just say it that way to do some alliteration at my 
associate pastor loves to do. So it opens with the king. Chapter 2, where did the wise men go? They went to the palace. Who lives in a palace? Somebody tell us. Who lives in a palace? A king lives in a palace. Do you know what those wise men from the Orient were seeking when they brought that great caravan? They had traveled maybe 800 miles as long as maybe eight months up the Fertile Crescent and down the Natural Land Bridge uh, to Jerusalem. And when they knocked on Herod's door that day, they said listen we've come seeking him that was born king of the Jews you know what they brought they brought gifts fit for a king because he was gold and and, and myrrh and frankincense and that'll preach on its own right there pretty amazing is it not chapter 3 you know what we find we find the inauguration of the king In that chapter, we find the baptism of Jesus. He identified with us. He certainly identified with us. But oh, what happened in that process when the prophet, the priest, and the king was anointed uh, with the Spirit of God that came from heaven as John baptized him and he came up out of the water how the heavens opened and the Spirit descended like a dove and while it was lighting on his shoulder the Father spoke and said this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased in chapter 4 the king was tried man I'm telling you what he, he won a great victory in, in, in the wilderness, didn't he? Did he not in chapter 4? But it seemed like maybe there was something else in there that, that I, I should lift up, but it's not coming back to me right off. But look, if somebody's a king, they have to have at least two things. They have to have subjects. They have to have people that, that are uh, make up their kingdom. They have to have a law of the kingdom. So in chapters 5, 6, and 7, we have the first recorded discourse that Jesus has given, or that we have record of Jesus giving. He gave the, he gave, this is the Sermon on the Mount. It's the first discourse. Chapter 13 is a discourse on the mystery parables of the kingdom. Chapter 24, 25 is the Olivet Discourse. John chapter um, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 is the upper room discourse. And the discourse, friend, is just a a record of an elongated uh, uh, message that Jesus has given. He gave more, but these are all that we have recorded. And you know what it was about? Listen now, it was about the... Now please, everybody, everybody listening right now say amen. Please get this. Jesus in these three chapters for the law of the kingdom of heaven. What did John preach when he came out of the wilderness dressed in camel's skin and eating wild locusts and honey and, and saying, but repent. What, what did he preach? For the what is at hand? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus on that boat there in the Sea of Galilee, or on the mount near the Sea of Galilee, began to announce the Beatitudes, began to lay down the edicts of the law. Listen, here's what he did. He raised the law to the highest degree that it could be. And here's what I told him Wednesday night, and I'm going to tell you, I've told you before, but I want to repeat it. 
Does anybody in here, and I know the answer to this before I ask, have any kind of problems at time reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and trying to fit in their Christian life some of the things that Jesus commanded his subjects, listen now, the kingdom of heaven to do. For instance, if you bring a sacrifice to the altar and get there and remember that your brother have a knot, you leave your sacrifice in how many of you have brought a dove lately to church to wring its neck? Or a bullock maybe to cut its... Are you all with me? Now, now listen, there are principles taught in those five chapters where the king lays out the law of the kingdom. There are principles that fit in any dispensation. It doesn't matter, irregardless of the dispensation. But listen, friend, if we're going to rightly divide the Word of God, if we're going to understand it as the Word of God presents itself dispensationally, we must rightly divide it accordingly. That's good preaching. So, it's one thing for a king to espouse a law. Anybody can say anything they want, right? Except if you're living in America nowadays. It's getting dangerous, folks. But it's another thing to have the power. It's one thing to say, I am a king. But it's another thing to prove you've got the power to back up what you've said and the fact that you are a king. So in chapters 9, 8, and 9 of the book of Matthew, there are no less than 10 miracles recorded. Now Jesus did multitudes of healings and and good things. We have a record of 36, 35, 36 in, in the four gospel accounts of, of Jesus that we have. But in those two chapters, we have no less than 10, and 10 is a number of completion. Pretty amazing. 10 miracles Jesus performed, friend, to prove to the nation that he came to as their king, hoping that they would not only hear him but receive him. He proved, friend, that he had the power to sit on the throne, that he had been sent from God Almighty. Now, the Old Testament said there are some specific indicators that when the Messiah comes, you can count on him being the Messiah. Can I tell you what the biggest one is? They would open the eyes of the blind. Nobody had ever done that. You talk about messianic prophecy, messianic indicator that was. Chapter 10. The king had given his law. The king proved that he had power. Do you know what time? It's time now to call the nation to decision. Chapter 10, he chose some men, got them ready, and sent them out. And you know what he did? He said, now listen to this. You can read it in your Bible. It's in chapter 10. You don't go anywhere but to the lost house of the sheep of Israel. At this time, God was filling his word. He sent the Yeshua HaMashiach, the promised one, the Messiah, the anointed one, to his people to fulfill his promise that he gave them. And it was up to them whether they accept or reject it. Do you know what happened in chapter 10? They rejected him as a nation. Chapter 11. You'll find in verses 28, 9, and 30, I believe it is. Jesus changing the message. By this time, John Baptist was in prison. Jesus started preaching. He took John's 
outline, Josh, and preached it exactly like John had written it out. You hear me? When John was in prison and no longer could preach out in public, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Jesus, who is Alpha and Omega, hey, he's the library, he's the word, he took John Baptist's message and began to preach it. There's nothing wrong if a preacher preaches another preacher's message. Matter of fact, we're fools if we don't at times, am I right? And he began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you know what happened? John in prison. That, what am I going to call them? Assembly of men that went out to the nation of Israel to preach, hey fellas, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You remember when Jesus said that the kingdom is in your midst? Everybody remember that? Shake your little head. You remember that? Does that scripture sound familiar at all? He wasn't saying that, that, that it's in the midst of their heart. I've heard people say, well, he's talking about where God comes sets his stone up in your heart. No, Jesus is saying, look, everything, friend, to make a kingdom is right here before you. The king's here. The subjects are here. The word's here. The promise is here. The power is here. It's in your midst. They just couldn't get it. You say, why? Because they were spiritually blind. They were spiritually deaf. Now you say, preacher, could they have got it? Listen, look, look, they not only could have, but should have. Their unwillingness, listen now, this is so dangerous, it goes with their unwillingness to see what could be seen and hear what could be heard ended up making them more blind and more deaf than what they were. Pretty amazing. So you know what Jesus did in chapter 11? And I'm glad that he did. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You remember that great verse? In chapter 12, need to look and see what I need to pick up out of that because for whatever reason right now, I cannot remember. Oh, I do now. They tried after that, say, well, we've been thinking about the fact that we've rejected you and maybe we want to rethink this. Now, they asked the dumbest thing. Give us a sign. Give us a sign. Hey, can I tell you what? Miracles are not an asset to a man or a woman's faith. That's good preaching too. They don't help you along, friend. Give us a sign. They had rejected every sign he had presented to them up to that point. Remember chapter 8 and 9? He had performed 10 miracles or shown them at least 10 signs. And he said, listen, there'll be another sign given to you, said Jonas the prophet. For Jonas is in the heart of the earth, or in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Why did he choose Jonah? Y'all know the devil hates the book of Jonah, don't you? I mean, there are about five books of the Bible that the devil absolutely hates. The book of Jonah, the book of Genesis, the book of the Revelation, the reason behind that for all. The book of Jonah teaches without a doubt that Jesus not only uh, was crucified, but he died, that he was buried, and that he came out from among the dead on the third and appointed morning. So you know what I believe? I believe with my studies. I'm, I'm as convinced as I know I'm standing here before you today. When Jonah was swallowed of that whale, he died in that 
He was resurrected. Oh, God could have kept him for three days, but the greater miracle is that he brought him out among the dead. I believe that thought more. Now, you can believe what you want. It's okay. But I know what I believe because of my studies. And then in chapter 13, Jesus does something remarkable. How many of y'all believe he's the master teacher? Say amen. He began or began to speak in parables. You say, why? Because there was an obvious question to consider. Well, if he has rejected the nation now because the nation, I get this, please get this, if he is rejecting the nation because the nation has rejected him, what about the kingdom? What about the kingdom? The kingdom's in good shape. It's postponed. It'll be shown in its fullness. I don't believe too long off. But in the meantime, chapter 13 of the book of Matthew tells us what is the process that goes on between the time the nation of Israel reject Jesus as their Messiah until he returns to set up his kingdom. So here's what that covers. That covers the age that you and I are living in, the age that we know as the church age. Pretty amazing. And look what's in here. Listen, please get this. It includes what goes on, and I hate this world, in Christendom. Christendom means everything that comes under the umbrella of the word church. And not everything that comes under the umbrella of church is Christian. Everybody got that? Say amen. And you know what he said? In the world, there's going to be good and bad, true and false. Right and wrong. Is that what this teaches? And he says, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And it's going to end in apostasy. And we're going to see all these things. By the way, that's just my first line in my outline. Are you all ready for any more? Now, I'm, I'm going to hurry and we're, we're done. I, I, you know, I was working on this morning. And I thought, Lord, how am I going to tell them all I need to tell them this morning? Because some of them won't come back Sunday night. They won't listen. And there'll be some of the ones really need to get this. I told Greg, I said, you can't believe how this message and, and your lesson dovetails together. I, I might ought to go right to the end of this parable that Jesus explained and let you know, I, I believe I'll spend a few minutes doing that. There are four types of seed in the first parable that Jesus presented and gave us an interpretation for so there would be no doubt how to understand that parable. There are four kinds of seeds. Y'all know what they are? What are they? Help me out. One fell on stony ground, shallow ground, Rock, well, that, that's, the, that's the, yeah, the shallow. What was the other one? The wayside, and what's the last one? The good soil. I've got them in my notes, and I think I could give them to you. I just, and I know you all know them. Can I tell you, listen, now, look, look I, I want you to come back. Maybe that's why I'm telling you this. 
You know, when Josh or I or anybody else gets in this pulpit and preaches, we put a lot of emphasis upon the speaker. Am I right? The expectation is high for the speaker. We put expectations on ourselves. We're, we're self-driven. We're self-motivated. We, we wrestle. We pray. We work. We dig. We, we seek. We, we ask. We do all kinds of stuff to get a little nugget. And it's important to be prepared to speak. If you've ever spoken publicly, you'll know what I'm talking about. But can I tell you all something? Please listen. Everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. And I tell you, this parable is not about the speaker, it's about the listener. The impo- look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. Look at, look at verse 9 in your Bible. And thank you for keeping your Bibles open. We're going to need the more as we make our way through this chapter. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Verses 13 through 18 speak of how significant hearing is. Verse 43, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. The emphasis in this parable, which is the key to the other parables, is for those listening to hear. Now I know the classic way that this parable is taught, and I'm going to teach it that way. I believe it depicts the soil where uh, the Word of God falls on. And, And I believe initially, It has to do with the unbeliever, the heart of the unbeliever because I'm going to highlight some words and I'll give them to you now. There is is hearing and receiving and keeping. No, there's understanding, receiving and keeping because hearing is in all three of the synoptic gospels. The expectation is to hear, but after you hear, there's got to be an understanding. There's got to be a reception of what you understand and there's got to be a keeping of what you understand. And there's only one of these different types of soil where the Word, which is the seed, was able to find enough depth to germinate, to take root and to fruit. And that, friend, listen, look, there's only one out of these four different soils that really were saved. And I want to make the application to the believer. That means me and you. Everybody saved, say amen. The same type of soil came in the heart of every one of us today that's saved and on our way to heaven. You either have, you either have, you either have the wayside soil, that's a place that's being tramped down. The stony soil, that's a place that it looks real good on the surface, but you give it just a little time and the right thing come out and stuff will go sideways. And then you've got the the thorny ground. That's where there's so much other stuff in there that there's no room for the Word of God. Then you've got the good soil. Where the ground is able to find not only a lodging place, but wait just a minute. And this intrigues me. It amazes me. The problem's not with the seed that's sown, but it's with the soil that it's sown in. There are three different kinds of product. Some 100, some 60, some 30. For years I have said, maybe you're a hundredfold 
person. Maybe you're a 60, your 60 is 100. Maybe you're a 30, your 30 is 100. I don't know, I'm still leaning that way. I need some more insight. But it's possible, like we taught or heard Greg teach, that when we get to the judgment, our judgment is not only going to be on what we are, but what we could have been. Now look, let me ask y'all something. I've got to to figure a way to close this. What if we were all a hundredfold producers? I'd like to pastor a church like that. Now look, I'm going I'm to get me back. How many of y'all like to have a hundredfold pastor? Right? Now look, I'm working on mine. I'm telling you, I work on my heart. God worked on it ever since I walked in here this morning. And I'm glad that he is. Hey, look, can can I testify for just a second? Hey, God's got my problem. I am not worried about this. There are things I don't want to go through. It's just that obvious. I don't want to go through things. But God's got this. I've got a piece that's amazing. But can I tell you what it's made me do? It's made me to re-examine what the psalmist said. Teach us to number our days. That we may apply our heart to wisdom. I've been foolish too many times, frivolous too many times over the years. I've not had too much of a habit of that, but I have. But I'm going to tell you, I told you all a few weeks ago, where I'm at now, I can pretty much see my finish line. and That's affected me, and I'm glad. I am glad. But how's your heart? How's your heart? Judy, come. I'll just stop it right there. That's where the message is going tonight. I, the Lord willing, I'll explain parables. You all already know what they are. I'll give you the definition of them. I'll, I'll do my best to explain to some small degree. It's not the message. It's not the purpose of the message for me to explain the judicial blindness that God uh, pronounced upon the nation of Israel because of their choices. My brother was spot on when he said it looks like to me that our world, America and our world, is a lot like the nation of Israel was when Jeremiah wrote prophetically to them before the judgment of God fell upon them. I hate to say it, folks, and I don't know whether this fits you or not. I, I've, got the, I've got the utmost confidence in you. Do you hear me? I mean, that's, that's a pastor's nature. Pastor's nature is is to have confidence. They, they think positive. Their outcome goal is good. They, they think good things. They think great things. They think all kinds of things. But I don't know how your heart is. I don't know how your soil is. Oh, there are times I know more about it than what you think I do from the pulpit. But only you know. There are times, and I haven't said this in well, it's been too long. Josh has said it. Other preachers that stood in this pulpit have said it. Many times, pastors want more for you collectively and individually than you all want for yourself. So, let me end where the message was going to end, and we'll end again tonight. How's your heart? Can I ask you, was it cultivated by you before you come to church? Did did you spend any time in prayer? Did you spend any time in the Word of God? Did you repent after you got in the car and you and your wife had an argument on the way to church? 
I mean, don't sit back there and say, well, man, we're too godly to do that. I know where the devil gets in uh, on Sunday morning. My vehicle, where does he get in yours? If you didn't have one coming to church, you're liable to have one going away. Well, where do you want to eat? Well, it doesn't matter to me. Well, just tell me. And before you know it, nobody's in shape to eat when you get there. I know him too well. See, y'all think you were real pious because you didn't get caught on the first one. Break up your foul ground. Doesn't this dovetail with what you've been teaching this morning, Greg Carney? Is our hearts enlarged? Every head bowed, nobody looking around.